Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now, for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. Well, that was uh, that was a, quite an adventure for me, figuring out what just happened. I, I <laughs> Everything within me says, never update your computer, never mess with anything. Bob, just leave everything alone. Anyways, it's so, it's so, I'm so dramatic. It's, it's traumatizing to me every time. I should never do it. I should definitely never do it when I'm like halfway through recording an entire season of the epic narrative because, because I just know somehow it's all going to disappear. Like, no, no, Bob, don't worry. It's in the cloud. It's all backed up. No, no, no. You don't know what I can do. You don't know the skill level that I have when it comes to destroying things. <laughs> or losing things that should not be lost and cannot be lost by anyone else on the planet. I have a special gift. <laughs> or I just have this. It's weird. It, it is weird because I am ridiculously optimistic about everything except for stuff like, except, except for this little computer thing right here. Everything about it, I'm just like, please work, please work, please work, please work. And then when it doesn't, you know, like it finally convinces me after weeks of saying update, 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 you know, restart and update, restart and update. And I finally give, I finally give in to the pressure. And then, then I can't find stuff. And I still can't. There's, there's a, there's an entire Bible app that I use. I use the Blue Letter Bible app. Gone. It's not there. And I've tried downloading it. It's like it's downloaded. No, it's not downloaded. It's not here. I, I've looked for it everywhere. I've searched the bar, everything. Nope, not there. So I tried downloading install. Install in six seconds. Finished installing. Open. I hit open. Would you like to install the Blue Letter Bible? Whoa! Oh! I just did. I think I did it six times in a row. Still the same thing every time. Anyway, by the time you hear this, hopefully... I will have figured out a way to install the Blue Letter Bible, and I will be well on my way of preparing all the notes necessary to do the book of Exodus. I might have even started recording the book of Exodus by the time you hear this, because we are now on episode 50. 50, which means we got about 15 weeks, I think, left to get through Genesis. So, yeah, we're having some fun. We're having some fun. All right. This uh, this chapter, you know, it's kind of nonchalant, nonchalant, non. There's not a lot here, so to, uh, you know, in in like biblical exegesis, expository preaching, uh, hermeneutically, you know, uh, uh, challenging. It's pretty straightforward. It's Esau's family line. It's just where what his descendants are, where they came from, and where they moved. And a lot of people look at it and go, eh. Meh, not much there. But really, from a literary standpoint, basically, the 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 writer of Genesis is putting this all down and 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 doing away with or putting a character out of the out of the story, taking the taking this character, wrapping up everything about him, and saying, "There, if you really want more details on Esau's life, here's all the information you'll need about all the people he's related to, and then." All you have to do is look it up yourself. We're going to move on with Joseph. And Joseph becomes the dominant character from this chapter on. 
which I'm really excited about because Joseph is just like a dominant character, right? I mean, it's just fun. But first, let's deal with Esau. Now, I mentioned the last time, I probably should have waited. I just was so excited about the article I read that I just ended up verbalizing all kinds of stuff that I probably should have waited for this episode because this is about Esau. And that article that I read was specifically about the Edomites, which, of course, is the Esau's clan. Uh, Edom um, means uh, descendants, and Edom also means red. So this is other, uh, you know, his nickname, the Red's Descendants. And, and that article, just to refresh your memory, in case you aren't binging and it's been a week since, you, since you've listened, the archaeological article that I read was giving credence to the idea that there could have been a large nation of Hebrews that lived out on the desert plain without building huge cities. And they're finding, uh, it's, it's not that they're necessarily looking for evidence, it's that there's been evidence of of a wealthy culture that is a, a a culture that was very wealthy they had they had the the clothing they had the pottery they had the uh technology the what we would call like smelting of copper and iron uh the finding of gold the the art artistry of fine jewelry making they had all of these people of skills uh, large large herds um, influence on the marketplace, influence on the trade routes, but they didn't have large cities. And so there was a discrepancy between these um, minor evidences that were periodically found and references in literature and in trade logs and also, of course, scripture and historical um, historical tablets, both in Egypt and in Greece. Uh, and in Mesopotamia, references to the Edomites, references to these Hebrews, and yet they'd say, but where are all these cities? Like, if this was really true, and it would throw off people's timelines, because they'd look at the, you know, the Bible and say, well, it can't be true, because these people don't exist. We can't find them. And that was true. I, I, you know, I read stuff like this in the 70s and the 80s, but now, or 40 years later, they still are finding these little these little trinkets, little indicators. I, I don't mean trinkets as in, you know, like trinkets of jewelry. I mean like trinkets of evidence. And now they're starting to add up. And this one article basically was adding it up and going, all right, like all that evidence fits this paradigm. It fits a paradigm where there's a nation of people that didn't necessarily build uh, protective walls and gates and palaces, but instead occupied the land. What? It's almost like that's what God said they were going to do. That's <laughs> right. It's almost like that's what he said. And that's the part that's kind of interesting and fascinating for me. Uh, I think that that was always the plan of God, that his people would occupy the land not overtake it and i know i've covered that i don't know 35 times out of the 50 uh episodes we've done so we can move on uh so the edomites they'll show up periodically they they they're 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 part of this epic narrative but you won't really get a download of all of all the details that we're going to get today 
So in this, uh, yeah, chapter chapter 36, verse 1, this is the account of the family line of Esau, that is Edom. Esau took wives from the women of Canaan. Uh, this one girl from the Hittites, another one from the Hittites, uh, Hevesites, uh, another one from the daughter, another from the daughter of Ishmael. And then, and then they start having children. And these were the sons of Esau that were born to him in Canaan. And, and then verse six, it says, Esau took his wives and sons and daughters and all the members of his household as well as the livestock and all the animals and all the goods that he had acquired in Canaan. And he moved to a land some distance from his brother Jacob. Their possessions were too great for them to remain together. Their land where they were staying could no longer support them for both, both because, both of them because of their livestock. So Esau, that is Edom, settled in the hill country of Seir or Sire. And this is the account of the family line of Esau, the father of Edomites in the hill country of Seir. So all of that to say there's a lot in there. Now, if you go through all of these family lines, there's all kinds of crazy shenanigans, especially from the Western mindset, right? You got wives, you got, you got wives that are nieces, you got nieces that are, are, you know, nephews, cousins, you got in-laws marrying out. It's, there's incest involved. There's, it's, it's crazy. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna roll through it all because it's really inconsequential to the rest of the epic narrative. But just know that that kind of intermarrying, interweaving, interweaving of of uh, family lines and bloodlines, it was not unusual of in the day. It, uh, some people use this uh, chapter and they'll point at it and say, "See, Esau was was a base person. He was fleshly. He was lustful." And he wasn't like uh, Jacob, who was, you know, they they will often paint Jacob as this this pure as the driven snow type of person, this righteous man who only did what God said. He never did anything wrong, and his children, despite all the things that they did wrong, are never seen as having to, like they're just righteous people. And I, at some level, I kind of understand that from you know from a Hebrew uh, expression. They want Jacob to be pure. They want him to be holy. They want him to be the father of their, of their, not only of their nation, but also of their religion. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These guys could, are almost sinless. Like they're so close to sinless that you could almost call them sinless. And that's, that's, uh, unfortunate to me. It doesn't really touch on the reality of it all, but. That's fine. I'm not gonna. I am definitely not gonna, you know, cut off communication with somebody who thinks that these guys were were pure. And Esau was the bad guy. Esau was the lustful, fleshly, arrogant, angry, hairy dude. <laughs> he was hairy. That part's true. I still can't get over that goatskin thing. That's that's just really kind of creepy. Uh, so. When it says in verse 6 that he separated from Jacob, he took all his household's goods, livestock, all of his people, everybody he had acquired, and he moved some distance from Jacob. He moved from Jacob. Um, this was after, of course, Jacob had wiped out Shechem and had plundered the land, right? He, uh, he moved away from Jacob because their family flocks had grown too big. 
Now, now that was, I think that that probably this occurs after uh, the death of Isaac. I think when when he brought the inheritance up to Jacob, I think he probably did that at or around the funeral. And when you add that to all of Jacob's already large flocks, and to have Esau anywhere near him, this was going to cause problems. This was going to cause a uh, a shortage of good food and, and water for all their flocks and for all their shepherds and for all of their servants and for all of the merchants that be coming in and out. Like this is a type of influence on the nation that these that this family had. I want you also to keep in mind that Esau is being blessed because God said he was going to bless the line of Abraham. It's not this God's blessing, his fulfillment of the promise is not conditional. He said, I will bless him because he's your son. That's what's going to happen. And Isaac tried to, you know, take the blessing from, you know, from where God wanted wanted to go. He wanted to go to Jacob. He tries to take it, you know, and, and, and give it back to Esau. But even so, he's like, Esau's still going to be blessed. This is still going to happen. And Esau was blessed. As I mentioned last time, like he has been running the family um, the family heir, heirloom, the family business. He's been, all the stuff that Jacob was supposed to get, he's been taken care of. Jacob hasn't touched it. And even when he got back from Padam Aram, he didn't take any of it. He waited. He waited till his father died to see what Esau would do. And Esau gave it to him. And Esau had great possessions, far more than to hang out. And maybe there was an offer on the table. Make it, maybe Jacob was like, hey, you know, you're our, you're my brother. We live at peace. We are, you know, united. Let's just uh let's make things happen together. And and he looks around and goes, There's just no way, bro. There's just no way. And if I hang out here, there's gonna be some sort of uh tension always between us. And if not between us, between our peoples, because you are, you know, you're in the promised land. You are the one who carries the birthright. You are the one who carries the blessing. And there will always be people who are going to fight on my side because of who I am. And in doing all of that, I think Esau shows tremendous wisdom and humility because he not only moves south, he literally moves out of the promised land. He moves to an area of the, of the, of the world that can sustain him, but it's not anywhere near where Abraham had, in essence, walked everything out. If you remember way back, Abraham went for a walk for months, and the Lord's like, everywhere you place your foot, you know, will become yours. And he just walked for months. And wherever that outline was, and I know that many people believe it is, you know, uh, it is, you know, the nation of Israel currently, and there's some just obviously well, long-term discrepancies over like the Gaza Strip and uh, the Dead Sea and all of those areas. But generally speaking, you know, they kind of know where it is, right? But the Edomites moved outside of that realm. And I think uh, Esau did this on purpose because it wasn't only about family and getting along and being at peace it was, and the flocks and whether or not they all had supplies, water, food, 
But I also do think that there is some moral and spiritual values here. If you remember, Jacob had had his family put away the idols and he buried them under the tree and they went and they dedicated their lives once again or recommitted their lives to the promises of God and to the and to the blessings that he that he had released over Abraham and and Isaac and now Jacob and in releasing all of that and recommitting to all of that I think that Esau wasn't ready to do that he he had multiple wives from different tribal lands and they all worshiped their own god you remember that uh Abraham taught about Yahweh Isaac taught about Yahweh Jacob would have done the same thing now he would have taken on the mantle of teaching people about this one god who is the lord of lords god of gods and in teaching people about it uh not just not just people that would come by but remember he taught probably hundreds of servants and shepherds and uh security personnel he taught them all about this worship of Yahweh and they knew that he talked to him and he knew that it was clear that he had favor and blessing on him from this God and he gave this God credit for everything so there was a lot there and I think Esau also moved away from that he thought I'm not like the it's just not I listen I I love that you love God that God, you know that dad loved but it's not going to work for me and my family remember he got married uh he started marrying the Hittite and the Hivite. I think he started marrying when he was around 50. Jacob left to go find Rachel when he was 75, 77, somewhere in there, which I know just kind of creeps me out. We talked about that back in that episode. But in all of in all of that time and all of that effort, I think that Esau looked around and said, it's just, it's not going to be my family culture. So he moved farther away. There was there was a lot to just being together. You couldn't just be together and hang out in the same area. This clan that of Esau took over this huge swath of land that is south of, of the Dead Sea. But it was also because literarily you see that it's outside the promised land, people believe it also shows a spiritual sense that he was outside the promise. He was outside the promise to, to his father outside the promise to Abraham. He was living outside of that blessing or outside of that. Now, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed because of what's happening with Jacob and in the, in the clan. And we, we can talk about how that is nuanced and how that, is, uh, how that influence uh, comes across the nations, but all of them will be blessed. So, of course, Esau is part of that. He's also blessed because he is a direct descendant of those who received the promise, Abraham, Isaac, uh, and of course, well, not his brother. He's not a descendant of his brother. He is a sibling of his brother. So he has a direct connection to the promises of God and, and God's going to fulfill that. But by moving outside of the promised land, there's also this physical, uh, ramification, uh, physical representation of what has probably happened on a spiritual level. That is, he's moved outside the promise of the Father. And we can all do that, right? Sometimes we do. Uh, it's not that God moves away from us, but we move away from places that we think we just don't track with anymore. Or we stop talking to certain groups of, of, of people, not because we don't like them. I don't think Esau was at a place where he hated his brother. I just think he thought it's probably best if we don't hang out together. It's probably best if we live 
in separate areas. You know, dad's dead, mom's dead. I don't think we really have any more funerals. We're not going to worry about the the weddings. Um, you know, if I'm still, if you want to come to my funeral, great. If I feel like coming to yours, great. And let's not worry about it. Let's just see what happens. And he took his family and he left. I totally understand this. Now, it says it, uh, uh, well, it doesn't say. Um, does it say? Jacob. Oh, he moved some days. Does it say where Jacob dropped anchor? I'm not, well, anyways, just, uh, it's, it's probably next week's episode. In my head, though, I just want to, I just want to say. <laughs> Jacob settled, that he lived, so to speak, in his father's land. Now, Jacob made it his home in that he he wasn't, he wasn't nomadic. He didn't he didn't move around a lot, but he did live in tents. He had he had faith in God's promise for the land. He had trust in God's promise for the land. He knew that he didn't necessarily see everything uh, that you know come true, but he had he had as much you know as much faith that it was that it was real, even if it wasn't yet. And in that faith, many of his you know his children would have been aware that. Hey, someday this is going to be ours. Someday our families are going to spread out. So they would have continued to spread out in their tribal tents, in their tent cities. And they would have continued to occupy the land because that was the plan. They didn't hoard themselves together in order to do battle. They they came together in order to bring about more influence and more growth to the families. Now, if you go through... The rest of this chapter, there's some amazing people that come from um, Edom, come from Esau. What I find fascinating, one of the things is in the last few verses of this chapter, we see that um, the kings that reigned under Edom before any Israelite king reigned. This is in verse 31. And he starts he starts rolling them out. Uh, Bela, son of Begor, Beor became king of Edom. His city was named Dana, Dame Baha. I, I don't, I, I know I'm killing this stuff, but to me, it's fascinating, right? So they build a city. And when he died, his son su- succeeded him. And when he died, his son succeeded him. This is, this is multi-generational succession from one king to another. This shows that there was a there was a balance of power, an understanding of power that is very unique. And what, again, what people find fascinating about the Edomites is where is the city and why wasn't it huge? But I believe that the city that they're talking about was a, was a city of mostly tents. It wasn't a, a fortified stronghold to do battle. And so... To understand what is going on, if I mean, and we see this sometimes in in movies, sometimes they're fantasy movies or whatever, where where they want, you know, the the, the Romans come in and they want to talk to the king, and they're like, well, we do have a leader. Well, where is he? You know, he's he's out in the field. We'll go find him. Or or uh, maybe not the Romans. You know, maybe it's it's uh, oh, what was that? What was that movie? The Kingdom Kingdom of Heaven? Do you remember that? About the Battle of Jerusalem? And and there was this whole back and forth that occurred, which is just problematic in a lot of ways because the, the theology was, you know, again, destroy. If we destroy everyone, then God wins. Like, that's just 
is so insane to me. And it clearly was insane to the people back then as well because they looked around and were like, we're like killing each other. And that's the, you know, the kind of the story of the movie is why do we keep killing each other for the city? And, and they both kind of had their twisted understanding as to what it meant, right? They both had their own God. One was Allah and one was God Almighty. But, but in the end, they, they, these two kings, right? One of the kings was a king, but it, he, he, was always in the tents. And I think that this was the city, this was the nation of Edom. They were they were intense. And yeah, they had cities, but they weren't designed to be fortresses. They were designed to be common common land where marketing occurred. And the succession of the kings here just speaks of generation after generation. And again in verse 35 when Husham died, Hashan's son, who defeated Midian in the country of Moab, succeeded him as king. And his city name is Avith. And when Hadad died, Samoth of, of Mas- Masahach succeeded him as king. And when Samiah died, Sheol of Rehoboth on the river succeeded him as king. And when Shaul died, I mean, it's just on and on and on. And I don't, I don't mean to bore you. I just, I just wanted to spend enough time in this chapter where you see that this is, this is a legitimate nation. And the nation didn't look like all the other nations. At some level, they still carried, I think, the, the picture that God had for his people. That they would be a nation that, that influenced the world. That they would occupy the land without necessarily defeating it through military might or monetary might, but they would influence it. And and uh, Esau and his descendants carried that same mindset. Meanwhile, back with Jacob, right, Joseph is like 17 years old when his mother dies. And his brothers were, were divided. Everyone knew that his dad loved Rachel and Rachel's servants' children more than Leah and Leah's servants' children. And Joseph, who's 17, is, you know, he is hardworking and he's handsome and he's wise and he oversees his father's flocks and he over, he's getting, uh, in essence, management training. But the brothers always had a chip on their show. All the brothers who came from Leah and Leah's servant always had this chip on their shoulder, were always trying to prove themselves smarter faster, wiser than the sons of Rachel. And in doing that, Joseph was a part of that. Whether he wanted to or not, he was a part of that because he was Rachel's firstborn son. He was the one that Jacob was was clearly adored. Now, uh, this, this uh, constant bickering, even though they worked together, and they clearly needed each other. Remember, these guys are not like, you know, 14, 15 years old. These guys are well into their 40s. They have families. They have, you know, uh, children, so to speak, that are probably in their 20s who are also getting married. Like the descendants are starting to multiply. And they'd come together, again, for like large activity. But they wouldn't necessarily see each other on a regular basis. But what they did have in common was they didn't like 
they didn't like each other. <laughs> when they got together, they would they would probably get along for a little while, and then the stories would start coming up coming out about how so and so did something really stupid. Well, yeah, well that's because they're the son of Leah. That's why, or they're the son of Rachel, or they're the. Or if somebody got something from dad, it'd be like, well, of course you did. Of course you did. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure he took care of you because you're the favored one. In other words, you're not as good as us because you didn't you didn't have to work as hard. You you got free stuff from dad. We had to earn all of ours. So we're stronger. No, you're not. You know, and the, and the bickering will continue. But Joseph was clearly in all of that culture his father favored and loved him beyond everyone else like this had to be maddening to any even even to you know even to the sons of Rachel's uh, servant to know that this son Joseph was going to um, oversee them to know that this this culture of favoritism i mean honestly uh jacob was not a good father when it comes to this and he learned it from his father which he you know shouldn't have <laughs> he should have done the right thing he should have loved all his children the same the way that god does he had a great relationship with god he could have learned how to how to be a fair and an equitable father but instead, we have that tendency to what? To be like the, our fathers before us. This is why in the Bible, when it says that the sins will, will visit upon the fathers to the third and fourth generation, this is not a condemnation from God that says, you know, I'm going to hold that sin against you for the multiple generations. And, you know, I don't care if you ask forgiveness. I'm going to hold it against you. You're going to have to deal with the results of, your, of that decision for multiple generations because you're so evil and so prideful and so arrogant. I'm going to come at you. I'm going to come after your descendants, even though they have no clue what you did or what you said or how you did it. They are going to suffer the results because I am that kind of God. That's not how God operates. But what he does know is that what you see and what you grow up in is what you tend to repeat. We become like that, what we, that which we behold. We become that like that of which we see. And if you don't purposely go after the things that you would like to change from a place of hope and a place of light, you will be destined to be to be just like that which you don't want to be. And we go through multiple stories of that, right? Where people are like, I am never going to be like my father. And they talk about, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be angry like him. I'm not going to curse like him. And they think so much about not being angry and not cursing, they become very angry and cursing. Why? Because that's what they're constantly looking at. But if they look at it and say, you know, my dad was, a, was an awesome man, but he had a couple flaws. I'm going to honor him in every area I can. I'm going to find the gold. I'm going to speak about the gold, the, the parts of his character that are clearly things I want to emulate. And then along the way, I'm going to do whatever work I need to do whether it's through counsel or through meditation or through study, I'm going to find ways to kind of take some of those rough edges, the parts that aren't so good. I'm going to take those and I'm going to put them in their proper place through truth and through light and through hope. It's, it's that same thing about 
getting in sync with my original design. Even though what I what I know and love in my father or my mother or whatever, what I know and love about them, I, I want to honor. But I need to also take that back to my original design. I would need to take it back to the beginning and say, does all of this fit with my with my ultimate my ultimate my original identity and destiny? And whatever doesn't fit, I need to use that light. I need to use that frequency of creation in order to move it out of my family line, move it out of my mentality, move it out of my expectations so that, so that it's not there for the next generation. And what the next generation sees is this is a, you know, this is a, a parent. This is my, you know, their, my, my, parental example is you constantly take what you know and love and you emphasize it and you take what doesn't fit in the original destiny of what we were created to be and you use that that destiny you use that that purpose to move it out of so you become the example of constantly uh, adapting and becoming more of, of who you were created to be you become the example of saying I'm going to constantly look for and find the frequency of heaven in every circumstance and in every perspective. <laughs> My engineer just is like, you mean the way you need to change your perspective about technology? And I'm just, <laughs> mm -hmm. I suppose, I suppose you're right there, Bob, engineer Bob. Thank you so much for your comments. You were doing so good, man. We we're just like chilling out here together, and then you got to you got to come take a swing at me. Anyway, it is true though. Our perspectives do really matter. All right, I just wanted to. Yeah, we're done. We're gonna call it a day, everyone. We are gonna pick up. We're gonna pick up uh, next week, next episode, Genesis 37. We are gonna jump right into the life of Joseph, the new character. We gotten rid of Esau. Now we're going to, and we got Jacob all settled, and now we're going to bring on this character, Joseph, that grew up in this culture of favoritism, this culture of uh, being nannied by Deborah, being uh, connected to, you know, the most loved mother who's now dead. He's, you know, 17, 18 years old when the next chapter starts, so he is clearly a man. He's clearly been in charge. He's clearly looking probably to get married soon, start his own family. Other brothers are jealous. They are bitter. They are bickering amongst themselves. But even amongst themselves, they all can agree Joseph's the problem. He's the problem. If we got rid of Joseph, dad would like us all. Huh. And that's where we'll pick up next week. Thank you guys so much for hanging out. We'll see you. Next week on the Epic Narrative. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. Well, here's some thoughts after episode 50. 50, honestly. I I have to once again say, my wife's always right. <laughs> every time. Every time, I think. This isn't going to, it's going to, I don't know if we'll get through a whole year. Like we, we, she was like, oh my gosh. So yeah, you're right. We're on episode 50. And like I, uh, I believe we have, 
we have, I think, 12 more episodes left to get through uh, Genesis. And yes, as I predicted uh, or suggested at the beginning of this episode, I have started recording uh, Exodus. Uh, but unlike the beginning of this episode, I did not ever successfully re, um, reorganize, no, reboot, reinstall. Thank you. <laughs> Bob showed up, even my thoughts. Uh, reinstalled uh, the Bible app that I like using. I, I have it on my phone, so I, I still use it. But I never got it on the computer. I actually need a new computer. It's uh, this one is no longer supported, and I'm nervous because I'm re you know I, I, I told you I'm very nervous anyways around technology when it comes to losing things. But I am recording Exodus on this old computer, and I'm thinking it's not supported. Like if something goes wrong, uh, it's gone. It's gone. Anyways, I'm really enjoying Exodus. I I think you will as well. If you don't do TikTok, that's fine. But I have been posting things on TikTok in one minute deals. Um, and a lot of it has to do with leadership per perspectives that I've picked up while studying Moses. Uh, so you may enjoy those if you'd like, but I also have them on my Bob Thoughts page on Facebook. If you, uh, again, the Bob Thoughts page I've had for years, and my thoughts are many and varied, and you can scroll for days probably and find all kinds of topics and subjects. Someday they probably should be organized if I, uh, you know, if we ever take off on the epic narrative and we have a staff, I will probably, you know, put somebody on that. Organize Bob Thoughts and reconfigure the whole thing so that it's easy to find topics and subjects and that sort of thing but it's morphed along with me so sometimes uh it's more personal and sometimes they're more corporate as in leadership principles or communication principles or that sort of thing but anyways those are things that you can uh, check out i know we do we do what we call bob thoughts at the end of every episode this year we'll continue that next year but uh, it's actually different than you'd see on the Bob Thoughts page on Facebook. Bob Thoughts page is much more, it's longer usually and um, more topic related than specifically connected to the epic narrative. So yeah, that's an update there. That's an update there. And uh, I, I, I enjoyed this episode mostly because it's one that most people would never hear. And I think when it comes to storytelling, it is important to cover, to cover everything that you possibly can and to give people perspectives and opportunities to interact with a narrative that they normally don't get. And you normally would not get this chapter anywhere else. Uh, but here, uh, I'm not saying it's never been covered. It probably has, but we covered it here. It's an unusual, it's an unusual uh, chapter to be covered. So yeah, um, I, I enjoyed it because I thought, yeah, actually, you know what? We covered a lot of cool stuff and learned a lot of stuff about Esau and about the culture and about uh, where Joseph came from, the family culture that Joseph is coming from, which, you know, we'll hit next week. And I, I know that many of my lists, not many, Okay, I know of one very specific listener. Shout out to John again, John Paradis. He, uh, he loves Joseph. He's been looking forward to getting to Joseph since Genesis chapter 1. So bless his heart. It's been 50 episodes. 
And John, it happens next week. <laughs> so I look forward to hearing from everyone. Um, I hope you guys have a fabulous day. And um, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to everyone that's out there. God bless you. And I'll see you uh, again. I'll, I'll see you again. You don't see anybody, Bob. I know. I'll, I'll visualize you again next week on the Epic Narrative. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.